So glad that you could be here. Apparently, uh, this, this subject is uh, of interest to people. So um, let's get our worship guys out. You can follow along and or follow us on Version, which is a Bible app that has the worship guide right inside that. That's a free app. So if you don't have that and you've got a phone with data on it, just go ahead and download Version, and then you can go into that and hit the live event Put in our zip code or our church name and our whole worship guide and a whole bunch more information is in there to help you track and follow along with what's going on in the service. If you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Derek. Everybody say good morning, PD. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you here at Connect With Us. We had an awesome first service and can't wait to get into this with you this morning. Kicking off a new series, which is entitled Home. And basically the uh, message opener that you just saw kind of depicts a contrast, and that is that we know a house is built, but a home is where the heart is. A home is a place where we want to establish connections and where our relationships grow. A house is where we use nail guns, and there's brick and mortar and wood, and and we build it brick upon brick, as it were. But in relationships, sometimes we don't realize that we have to do the same thing, that there are certain practices and principles to building healthy relationships. And so we're going to talk in this series about how to establish healthy, life-giving relationships in all aspects of relationships, uh, marriage and family and parenting. And my wife and I are going to do a, a service together and, and uh, just kind of share with you some things that I believe will help all of us grow in our relationships with each other. Amen. Um, there's a scripture from Proverbs chapter 24. It's in your notes. Proverbs 24, verse 3. I'm going to be reading from the New Century Version. Initially, it says, It takes wisdom to have a good family, and it takes understanding to make it strong. Or the New Living Translation says, A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. So we've got we've to get smart. We've got to get wise on how to do relationships. Relationships do not happen by accident. Good relationships don't happen on accident. They happen on purpose, and they require intentionality, and they require sometimes training and equipping in order to do them well. And how many know that many of us could use some help in our relationships? It's pretty relevant in today's world, isn't it? And so today, though, I want to kick it off different than I've ever done before, talk about something in this service that I've never talked about before, and I want to give priority relationship uh, to those who are living single. If you're married, this will help you. If you're married and you want to be single, don't get any ideas. But if you're a divorcee, if you, uh, you want to be married someday, uh, you know, if you're young, you're old, I believe this will help you a lot. One of the things that I've noticed, uh, and you probably heard this, uh, you know, is I, I heard this growing up. I heard parents say these kind of things because uh, sometimes singles, when they're looking at the world in which they live, the scene, the selection, the options, uh, they can be very discouraged and it can be very disconcerting to look at the, let's just say pool, I, and that word uh, you can put in, in, in quotes, the pool of prospects that are out there. It can sometimes get a little discouraging out there. All the ladies say amen. And, and all the men, come on, hang on, I'll, I'll, I'll get you back, I'll get you back, I'll help you a little bit later. But that's why we go to church, by the way. You know what I mean? You might, sometimes we're just looking in the wrong pool. We're looking in the wrong places. And so uh, a lot of times when I give people an opportunity, you know, to say hello, like, it, it's like, you know, in church, people, it's like, that's like more intimacy than they've had in a month. You know what I mean? It's like an opportunity to just kind of connect with somebody for a second. But I know that uh, you've heard this before, but sometimes people say, oh, come on, there's plenty of good fish in the sea. There's plenty of fish in the sea. Has anybody ever heard that before? 
Well, if you've heard that, then maybe you haven't looked at some of the fish in the sea. So I'd like to show you some of the fish in the sea. So why don't you just check this out and tell me what you think, if this might be encouraging or discouraging. There's some of the fish in the sea. Plenty of fish in the sea. Come on, what are you all upset about? Look at some of these choices that we have out there, you know, in the pool of, of people. And this one's just hideous, you know. Whoever said that never really looked, you know. Anyway, I'm just, this attitude, this, this attitude, sometimes it permeates relationships, in particular for people who are living single. We get discouraged and we look around. The same is true sometimes even in marriages. Either, either side of the line, whether you're not married or you are married, sometimes we get discouraged. I was surveying a kind of an unconscious survey at Valentine's Day, uh, married couples. And I was going around trying to find out where they were at in their kind of journey in their relationship. And I, I went to a couple that on Valentine's Day and I said, hey, they were one year married. They were, they were newlyweds. In fact, there's a couple in the church today that I performed their ceremony, their, their one year anniversaries today. Where are they? Where's Jim? Where's Jim? Jim and Iris, Jim and Iris, there you go, one year today, one year today, isn't that awesome? So, now I'm not talking about them, but I went to another couple and I asked them, I said, what did you do for Valentine's Day? And they said, oh, well, we went back to the place we had our first date and we celebrated, you know, our first date and it was so romantic. Isn't that disgusting? And, and so that's what they did, the first year people. Okay, so then I went to somebody that had been married five years, and I, and I said, you know, what did you do for Valentine's Day? What was, you know, kind of what, what was Valentine's Day for you? And they said, oh, well, we stayed home. We did everything we could to try to put the kids to bed early. We, we, we watched a chick flick, got popcorn and pizza, and turned the movie on, and with 10 minutes, we fell asleep from exhaustion. <laughs> You, you know those people, right? I see them at the movie theaters. I go out to the movies. They see I love to go out to the movies and go out to dinner. And I'll see these young married couples, you know, with the, just got a couple of kids running around. And they finally get out for a date. And the husband is completely sound asleep right in the middle of the movie. It's a paid nap. I mean, but they love it, you know. It's like, at least I'm out. You know what I mean? And now they got the recliner ones. And it's all awesome. And, and so then I asked another couple. They've been married 10 years. 10 years. Everybody say 10 years. And so I went up and I went to her and I said, what did you do for Valentine's Day? And, and they were side by side with each other. And you could see the scout come over their face and she goes, he forgot. And, and then he goes, she remembered. And we had a big fight. That was their Valentine's Day, right? So I kept the thing going. So I went to somebody, I had a, had, what did you do for Valentine's Day? 15 years they were married. I said, what did you guys do? They said, we ate leftovers and did our taxes. You see the evolution? You see the problem here? So relationships can be tough and discouraging, and that's why we need new information, and we need to be encouraged and refreshed. A lot of times, relationships, though, um, in particular, you know, when we're form, forming and defining our relationship, a lot of times the relationships are based on certain foundations. Uh, myths, though. They're based on myths, and I want to I unpack one that we've all heard before, but maybe don't realize it's a myth, but that is that there's one true person for you. There's your one true love. There's your soulmate, you know? You know the movie, He Completes Me. <laughs> Are you serious? If you marry him, if, you may, if I marry her, you know, all my dreams will be fulfilled by my soulmate. Everybody say soulmate. 
okay, it just feels funny. And so the problem with buying into this myth is that when the relationship fails, either before or after marriage, we conclude as a result of accepting that myth as truth that we married the, or we are with the wrong person. We're with the wrong person. And the truth is, and hang on to this statement and don't bail on it too quickly, but we all are with or married the wrong person. Hold on. Okay. We are all, you're like, I know. <laughs> Did you look at him? So he's grown, and I don't mean personally. You know, whatever. There's all these things that go through people's minds. And so we all married the wrong person or with the wrong person if we went into the relationship the wrong way. And so what I want to do is I want to show you the entrance of relationships, how to, how, to, how to get in there the right way, and if we're in it, how to fix it in the middle of it. Anybody interested in that? So let me address directly or indirectly this subject where couples have determined to live together, okay, live together prior to getting married or instead of getting married. This, and this is so relevant because it's the norm today. And it needs to be talked about in a church setting in particular because 60% of couples are, or 60% of all relationships, people are living together. They're doing this. Living together technically is the fastest growing form of family in the Western world today. Most people see it as a step towards marriage and family. It's now the majority. It is, it is, it is modern love. Living together is, is accepted. And the question I want to answer behind that reality is, is, it, is are, are men and women happier? Are they more successful because of this decision and this propensity towards living together? Does living together really give men and women what they're looking for? Or like you two, are we singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for? You didn't like that. Okay. I could sing it if it would make you happier. But anyway, I won't. But the, the, here's the thing. The average age of relationships, we don't even realize this has happened. It's almost like a glass of water, and we don't see it evaporating, but it is. It's called dissipation. It's happening. And what's happened is certain trends and certain things that, let's say, traditions are now changing into new trends, but we don't see when they're happening. And so people used to get married much earlier than they do today. The average age for a woman to get married now is 27. The average age for a man is 29. That is a major shift in culture in just a generation. And, and, and so more than 50% of all couples living together are doing this before they get married. Many are looking as living together just completely different. And when it comes to the church, people don't want to talk about it. And when they do talk about it, they just demonize it. They just beat people over the head with it. They, uh, what's old school, you know, you're living in sin. And we all have heard that phrase. And I just don't want to put any more guilt and condemnation on people than, than the church has already done. And my heart is, again, for you to have a healthy relationship. Amen? Because most are marrying later in life, if they get married at all. And this may seem weird to you, but as pastor, I'm going to kind of play a little bit of a devil's advocate. And I want to show you that for a, it's a, a rational adult, dis, uh, it's, it's rational for an adult to conclude that living together actually works. And then I'm going to show you another side. Because the reason for that thinking is based on a lot of things that we see in society and culture today. In fact, when you go out to buy a car. You don't buy something before you try something, right? Try it before you buy it. Has anybody heard the phrase before? Ladies, you never buy a pair of shoes without trying them on first. 
and you buy a lot of shoes. <laughs> lots and lots of shoes. And so you're going to kick the tires on that car, guys. You're going to test drive that thing before you do it. And so why wouldn't that be okay in the, and why would that assumption not be okay in test driving relationships before commitment? And for several seemingly good reasons uh, for living together, people are doing this more and more. Let me give you some of the reasons couples live together. You can go ahead and write these down. If you're not taking notes, go ahead and write these down. (laughs) Here's the first reason. Couples are living together to save money, to save money. In other words, her lease is up, his lease is up, so we're just going to come together. We're going to move in. We're going to pay one rent. We're all going to go to Ikea, and we're going to get cheap furniture together, and it's going to be so fun, you know, and I don't have to sleep on my roommate's stupid futon, and we can have one bed, and it's going to be so exciting, and we can get a dog, and we can do meals together, and the girl's so excited, and he's like, whatever, let's go. You know, he's thinking other things, okay? And so that's one of the reasons. Here's another reason. It's a road test. It's a road test. I've really illuminated this already, but what we're trying to do in in a living together arrangement is, the key word is really chemistry, but we're looking for compatibility. This word, chemistry, compatibility, uh, is a really hard word to define. We could take a long time talking about it, but in particular on the women's side, she's looking for this, this, this chemical reaction between man and, and woman. You know, he completes me. He, he just, we sing the same songs. It's like we turn the radio on, and I say, that's my favorite song. And, no way, that's my favorite song. And, and, and we're saying the same things. And I was going to call you. No, I was going to call you. I can't even believe you just called me right now. And it's all happening, and that's what she's looking for. It's this, can we get, you know. And, and while that's hopefully happening, we are, we are sharing responsibilities, but we are not making permanent, uh, having entanglements of permanence or commitments. In other words, if it doesn't work out, no harm, no foul. You know, we can move on. We can still be friends. That's the mentality in here because it's a road test. And 75% of couples actually see it this way. In other words, the majority, and this is interesting about millennials. Now, you may not know what that means, but millennial is anywhere between 18 and 33 years old. A millennial is not against marriage at all, actually. This was enlightening for me to see. In other words, people who are living together, millennials in particular, are for marriage, but they want to road test it before they do it because of what they've seen. Millennials are simply reacting to the previous generation's failures and trying to compensate by overcompensation and trying to fix it. They go too far with it. And so uh, millennials want to get married. They actually have a much higher view of marriage than Generation X. And you see this happen over and over again. That you see, They've seen so much divorce and breakups and breakdowns and heartache that they don't want to go through that. So we're going to be practical. We're going to be wise. We're going to make sure we don't do what they did. And this is their response to that. It's not just a cavalier, immoral response. It's a response that's trying to fix what didn't happen in the previous generation. Is everybody track? And that's why the church of Jesus Christ doesn't need to be judgmental about the subject, but rational about the subject. All right? It's better than you realize what I just said. Here's the third reason. Fear of failure. Fear of failure. People like say things like, Peter, I just don't, I just don't want to go all in. I'm just going to 
dip my toe in the pool. I'm not going to completely dive into this at this particular point in time. I'm just this mentality. On one hand, it's rational. On another hand, it's, it's, it's dysfunctional. Because if you buy an outfit and take it home and it doesn't fit, you take it back. That's the mentality. But you can't do that. You can do that with a product, but you can't do that with a person. Unless you get one of those, you know, buy a bride on Amazon type things or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, so social science, is, not the Bible, reveals that there are a few things that sabotage the relationship before it gets started more than living together. And I'm going to prove it to you today. And so I want to talk to, like, basically several groups of people. I want to talk to the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and, 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 the, and the millennials in particular. And I, and I want to help you see some things that you wouldn't see through the, through the lens of Scripture, but also through what we see trending in social science today and the actual statistical results. And then I want to speak to adults who have children who one day are going to come to you and say, oh, I love him and oh, I love her and I'd like to spend the rest of my life, but I think we're going to live together. What do you think about that, mom or dad? And you need to be prepared as an adult, how, how will you respond to that? Will you just give them the Heisman? Will you reject them and show your disapproval? Will you just, just go ahead, whatever, you know, whatever feels good, do it. You know, we did whatever we wanted. Are you going to have responsible responses to what is happening so you set them up for success, not only in your modeling, but also in your messaging? Amen? And so it's important. And then if you're on this side thinking about living together or currently living together, again, no judgment. Christians... And churches have, have given enough ammunition to non-Christians, or I like to say pre-believers, and given, given enough reason to distance ourselves. So this is not about judgment. This is about, for me as a pastor, helping you be prepared to have healthy relationships. Amen? So if you're not a Christian or you're a pre-believer and you're listening to this, hey, you just get to be kind of like a, you know, just eavesdrop on what Christians think about the subject, and hopefully it helps you. So we're going to look at scripture, and we're going to look at social science as we go forward. Marriage according to God's word, though. I want to start there, Amen. all right, because this is a Bible-believing church. Yeah. Our message is sacred. Our methods are not, clearly. We just had family feud a second ago, and I'm wearing jeans, okay? So it's definitely a different church. I get that, all right? So, like, what the heck? I mean, some lady came in, and she was so refreshed. She was just raised in a congregational environment, and she just, like, you got the Bible in. You made it relevant, but, you know, everything was different. But I loved it. I was like, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Thank God that worked. So it worked. But, I, but Scripture is critical to this, and, and I know some people would say, okay, Petey, I understand the Bible says this, the Bible says that, but where in the Bible does it say you can't live together? Where, let me just tell you something. There's no text that says, thou shalt not live together, stay away from Ikea. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. It's not going to come out that way. Because cohabitation as a living arrangement, it was unheard of back then. Okay? It is a relatively recent phenomena. It's emerged in the last 60 years. It's like gay marriage, which has emerged very recently. Cohabitation is about 60 years old. So now, though, it's very common now, but before it wasn't. All right? And so God's word gives not a text for that, but it gives specific guidelines for what he designed in the beginning relationships to look like. And so we're going to go back to his original design and start there. Now, Ephesians 6 quotes a scripture in the beginning, Genesis 2.24. You can write this down. Uh, Genesis 2.24 says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and crashes at his girlfriend's apartment where they can buy a dog and share cable. No, it doesn't say that. That's not God's word. Just to be crystal clear, thank you, media team. 
Genesis 2.24 says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become what? One flesh. See, here's God's math. It's different. One plus one equals one. One. He wants you to join. He wants you to be totally connected. He created something that was permanent, irrevocable, designed, you know, to be uh, uh, united. In fact, the principle that we see here in Genesis and repeated in the New Testament is called leave and cleave. You can write that down. We are called as Christians to leave and cleave to each other. What that implies is that a man or a woman who had previous relationships that were of priority are no longer, they are de-emphasized, and now the new priority relationship is my spouse, my husband, or my wife. That's who we make the priority. There are no rivals in this design that God has. There's no competitors in this relationship. It's permanent. It's not disposable, dispensable. It's not something that when times get tough, we just surrender it as irreconcilable differences. No. We stick it out to the end. We are stuck together. We are connected. It's as if there's like a super glue between me and my spouse, and we cannot be separated without great damage or difficulty. Is everybody tracking what I'm saying? In fact, one time many years ago, amen, we can give the Lord a big hand clap for that. That's what marriage should be like. Amen. Amen. Years ago, when I was uh, a young boy, I was given the opportunity to babysit. Not recommended at this particular stage in my life, but my neighbors allowed me to do this. I think they allowed me to do this because I was babysitting my neighbor, who, which was 100 feet from my parents, who were usually home. So uh, this, this, this boy used to babysit. His name was Billy, and he had a dog named Lily, and that's how I always remember, Billy and Lily. I loved Lily more than Billy. I couldn't stand Billy. But I babysat him, and the parents let me babysit him. Anyway, Billy was, of course, much younger than me. Let's hope so, because that would have been a weird ba babysitting relationship. But he was like a master Lego kid. Like, at like three years old, he could build like castles. It was ridiculous. But when I would build whatever I was going to build, Billy would always bust it up. And it hurt my feelings. And so I'd get mad, and I couldn't discipline him as much as I wanted to. And so I'd make these great things, trying to compete with Billy and his awesome things. And so... He'd go over and break up my stuff. So I got a great idea. I thought, you know what? I found some super glue, and I said, yeah, we'll see, Billy, if you can bust this up. Good luck. So I started super gluing all the stuff together, the Lego stuff, which, of course, that was smart. And so while I'm doing that, I get some of the super glue on my finger and my, my index finger and my thumb, and I was getting ready to say something to Billy, and I went, Billy! I was trying to point at him. And it wouldn't come until I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And I got super glue between my index finger and my thumb. I'm like, mayday, mayday, this is going really, really bad. I couldn't believe it. And so I freaked out, and I, and I go into the bathroom, and I'm pouring warm water on it, and I'm doing soap, and I don't know what to do. And I'm grabbing, you know, somebody's nail polish remover, and, you know, I'm putting sticks in the middle, and nothing's happening. Eventually, I just had to literally tear my finger from my thumb. And when I did that, the fingerprint and the thumbprint came off. It did damage to my fingerprints. Listen, listen, listen. It actually did damage to my identity. And in a similar sense, that's what happens when we break something apart that God intended to be super glued. It affects your identity. It affects your identity. He wants you to be together. Forever. He wants you to be close 
connected, just like superglue. But if you don't look at it like that in the beginning, it's going to affect what comes apart. And unfortunately, pulling that apart does damage, not to you, but it does damage to other people as well. And many know that to be true, and I'm not trying to make people feel bad, because you know it's the truth. But God sees you as one flesh, inseparable. But we live in a real world, don't we? In other words, there's divorce. It's as high amongst Christians as it is, unfortunately, amongst non-Christians, and it's not ideal, and there's pain, and there's heartache, and there's all kinds of things that have happened, and so if you ask a millennial about marriage, they're going to be obviously quite cynical. In other words, since marriage is like a 50% chance, why flip the coin? Why even start? I don't even want to go down that road, and so from culture's perspective, that you can write this down. Culture basically says you can be married and bored or you can be single and lonely. That's really how they look at it. That's their view of marriage. That's why it's no surprise that half of the adults will live together before getting married. In 1960, that was virtually, didn't happen at all. So really in a generation, that has changed. There has been a 1,500% increase in living together in the last 50 years. It's the new norm. My generation was called the up generation. We would just hook up and shack up. Listen, hook up, shack up. Everybody know what I'm talking about, right? That's what it was about. Now, look, here's where it's at now. The new generation, it's friends with benefits. Now, I'm not trying to be funny. Listen to what I'm saying. It's a response to the previous generation. Every behavior that you see trending is usually a response to the previous generation. We're saying, you know, why do that? Because this is what happens. Why do that? Because this is what happens. And so these are responses. But we're not looking at it from a bird's eye view to get an appropriate context of what is working or not working. In fact, it's unraveling even more. And so if Stacy and I lived together, we've been married for 24 years, but if Stacy and I lived together before we got married, it probably would have been about three, four months, and Stacy would have just said, I am done with you. I am going back to Alabama. Back to daddy. He takes way better care of me than you. And it would have been true because I was a monster. Ooh, I was just a monster working in my lab late one night with eyes beheld. A lovely sight. Suddenly, to my surprise. Anyway, she wanted to mash me. All right, so <laughs> I don't know where that came from. But if you're, it, the point is, it, it does, I don't know, what is the point? Frankly, what is the point? Because that just didn't do well. <laughs> there needs to be commitment, okay? So if you're single, don't be discouraged because Jesus was single. You know, Jesus wasn't 30 years old, like rubbing his hands, oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. I'm already 30. I need to shack up. No, he wasn't thinking that. Jesus lived a fulfilled life. So if you're single, you can still live a fulfilled life in Christ, amen? But what does God's word say? Look in your, look in your uh, notes, Matthew chapter 19. We're going to write this down, 19 verses 4 through 6. Jesus is actually being kind of interrogated by religious leaders, and they're asking him all these questions about some cultural trends and some things that happened in the past, and why did Moses, you know, permit a certificate of divorce and all this stuff. And so he goes back to the beginning. Whatever was happening in the present, Jesus decides, go back to the beginning. God already said. God already established this. Nothing's changed. I am the Lord. I change not, okay? So Jesus says, haven't you read, talking to these religious people, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a Man will leave his father and mother, here's their leave and cleave, and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. Now, if you've ever been in a wedding, you've always heard, you've always you've probably heard this next statement. So they are no longer two, but they are one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. See, God sees 
relationship with the opposite sex as exclusive, exclusive, committed. Some say, well, the times have changed. And, and that's true. Times have changed. But God does not change. God's principles do not change. Truth is timeless. It does not change. The times can change, but truth does not change. And he said that marriage excludes itself from all other relationships. He wasn't worried about culture and how it would pose and what couples and how they would respond. So I understand some people are old school. I get that, but I think this, his school is for all times. And what I think happens amongst Christians, if I want to talk just to Christians for a second, is many of us, since we're trending the same way, we're trending the same way in divorce, and Christians are trending the same way in living together. That's why many people don't come to church who are living together because they feel like they're going to be judged. When, in fact, it makes sense why they're doing it, okay? So it's sad. So they, they, they decide to shack up, and then I know I can't go to the church because I'll be judged. So they leave. Here, here's, what should, here's what should be the case. We, we need to help people see, listen, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to not feel judged, but I also want you to see that as Christians, a lot of times we're salad bar Christians. We're just going to the salad bar like, I love that. Oh, yeah. He's talking about this. Oh, that's good. I like that. I like spirituality. Oh, he's talking about worship. Oh, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. I even like that. Woo, hey, Holy Ghost. Uh, I like that kind of stuff. He's getting practical. In it. But don't touch this. And that's my choice. And that's my deal. And who I do life with and how I do relationships. That's my thing. That's my thing. We sometimes think about it. Could be, possibly, I submit to you, just, just mull it over, salad bar Christians. And see, Jesus is on the other side, and he's saying, listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to just be your Savior. I also, by the way, I'm Lord. I'm Lord. And so here's, here's kind of the big idea. When you, when, you, when you actually look at the ring, you need to see that God wants to be. <laughs> Girls, guys, I'm setting the bar high, okay? I'm setting the bar really high. Woo! Woo-hoo-hoo! Check it out. So listen, here's the deal. Either he's Lord of the ring or he's Lord of nothing. He's Lord. Jesus is, come on, say it. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so Jesus wants to be Lord of your life. He's basically saying, I'm the creator. I invented marriage and relationships. I created sex. How many know that's a good God? People say God's not good. I say God created sex. That's a good God. It is. And so he said, since I created it, is it possible that I could be a part of this process, this decision-making process, the principles by which you do relationships? Maybe I could be a part of that if Jesus isn't Lord of all. He's not Lord, what? At all. So put aside faith for a moment and just look at science. Social science says this. You can write this down if you want. But sociologists have a phrase. It's called the cohabitation effect. Cohabitation effect. In essence, the summary is, it says nearly 100% of the time, uh, the, the trajectory of the relationships all the time is adversely affected by cohabitation. And it's mainly because of the ambiguity of the relationship, the lack of clarity, the lack of, of expectations are not discussed or met. In fact, men and women view relationships and go into living together completely different. In fact, they do it in marriage too all the time. Women view living together as a steps towards marriage. It's an on-ramp towards marriage. It's a conveyor belt. We're getting closer. But men see it as a time to just play house without buying any, anything. We're just having fun. Let's just see how it goes. 
In fact, the science says there's a, there's a gap a mile wide between men and women when it comes to living together. Men receive all the benefits of marriage. Men, you're going to feel like I'm throwing you under the bus, but this is going to help overall. Uh, you get the shared bills. You get someone to help cook and clean without the commitment. You get, you get regular sex. All that's happening. Guys, ladies, are just road testing the relationship, and the women and men are not on the same page, and that's why often the mortality rate of the relationship is extremely high, higher than the divorce rate. So where does this lead? Here, write this down. It leads to, sociologists say, sliding, not deciding. Sliding, not deciding. The New York Times had a trending article called The Downside of Cohabitating Couples. This is what it said. I'm just going to bring an excerpt from it. It said, moving from, this is from May, her name was Meg J, excuse me, not May J. She was a clinical psychologist from the University of Virginia, and she said, moving from dating to sleeping over, to sleeping over a lot, to cohabitation can be a gradual slope, one that is not marked by rings or ceremonies or sometimes even conversation. Women are more likely to view living together as a step towards marriage, while men see it as a test to a relationship or an opportunity to postpone commitment. So couples who move in together are rarely on the same page. So instead of predetermined, defined, set expectations, we're sliding into a relationship, a domestic living arrangement for the sake of convenience and comfort, which is a horrible foundation for a relationship. Is everybody tracking with me? It feels exhilarating at first. It's kind of exciting, you know. It's, we're, we're doing the Ikea thing together. You know, we're in the same bed together. We're, we're, we're sharing wireless and pets and stuff like that, and that's all great for a little while. But this particular article goes on to profile a couple, a typical couple in a living arrangement. Listen to this woman Jennifer's comments and what she discovered. The article profiles her name, Jennifer, and she's living with her boyfriend, and she said this. She said, I felt like I was on a never-ending audition to be his wife. We had furniture together, we had all the same friends, and even a dog together. It made it it really, really difficult to break up. She's, She's basically saying, I wanted to. Then it was like we got married together because we were now in our 30s. How romantic. In other words, the thing she always dreamed of happening was completely unraveled, and it became something we did out of convenience or necessity as opposed to choice and commitment and a predetermined decision. And so the article went on to reveal that they've been together for four years. And finally, and this doesn't happen in all cases, some go on living together indefinitely, but many times, because there is still a desire in millennials to get married, many times they put their foot down, and that's what she did. She said, okay, we've been together four years, here's the deal, if, if this is going to continue, this has to go This has to go to another level, this has to go towards marriage, and so she said, this is what's going to happen. So when she did that, you know, it was a big brouhaha, it was a big fight, it was a big deal, and so he has a choice, and he's like, all right, fine. You know, he relents, in other words, a great response to a committed relationship, and then he buys her a ring, and then he decides to overcompensate, which is very common, try to fix everything, make it better, kind of whirlwind it all back to, to the wonder of it all, and they plan a huge wedding, and they had this wedding at Sonoma, and they spend tons and tons of money on the wedding and on the reception, and one, less than one year later, they filed for a divorce. That is more common than you can possibly imagine statistically. It's happening over and over and over again because it's a sad twist because people are sliding into living together and it's actually far riskier statistically than actually taking the risk of a committed traditional marriage. 
It's way more difficult, way more arduous, way more painful, way more risky in a, in a living together range, relate, uh, arrangement, pray for the interpretation, than it is a traditional approach to marriage. So listen, ladies, you know, you got to wait till they put a ring on it. All the single ladies, all the single ladies. I won't dance because I'll make you stumble, okay? I'll I, I try, I'll try. All right, I won't, I won't. So, so all that to say, all that to say that, so, write this down, social science proves what sacred scripture preaches. For a relationship to last, you have to put a ring on it first. For it to last, put a ring on it first. And it's, it's key. This needs to be a shared commitment. When living together, you are sometimes less committed to the relationship. And so cohabitation trains both the man and the woman to be more self-interested, more manipulative, more preferential, because I, I want to keep my options open. But when there's no exit strategy, when there's no back door, when there's no trap door, when I can't get out, it changes the dynamic of the relationship and increases the potential for success. And so when we don't do it that way, it's a wrong premise. Hebrews 13, 4 says this. Look in your notes or write this down. It's going to be on the screen. It says marriage should be honored. Everybody say honor. It should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. So God is saying the two key ingredients for relationship are purity and honor. Not benefits with no strings, not no responsibility, not no commitment, not no purity, actually withholding some of those privileges for a short term, it will accentuate the success long term of a relationship. That's what God's saying. He's not trying to be restrictive. He's trying not only to be protective, but he's trying to ensure that you prosper in your relationship. He wants to take it even higher. But we've heard it said over and over again. People say things like, ladies, you've heard this. You've probably heard it from your parents. Why buy a cow if you can get the milk for free? I know that's kind of a condescending statement, but has anybody ever heard that before? Why buy a cow? You know what I mean? And, and, and you're, so you need to know, ladies, Again, I'm a guy, so I'm, I'm speaking for guys. You are canceling out when you make yourself available sexually before marriage. You are canceling out their primary motivation for committing to a long-term commitment, a relationship in marriage. You're, you're, you're canceling it out. You're sabotaging it. And I'm going to be honest here, but some people don't sometimes see it that way. People, you know, ladies are always saying, wait a minute, why does, why does it always have to be about sex for me? Why can't it be about companionship and just friendship and being together? Listen, if that's all he wanted, he'd get, you know, a golden retriever. <laughs> he wouldn't need you. He wouldn't. Sex is highly motivational. Uh, for about 97% of women, excuse me, men. And so you, you might, <laughs> if that's true, if that's true, if you have a wife where sex is more primary to, on behalf of all men in this room, we hate you. <laughs> we hate you, okay? I think I speak for all men on that, okay? But, girls, when you, when you give it up, again, 
you sabotage your relational future. I believe, and again, it's how you look at it. I believe it was God's perfect design that this would protect the woman and the children as you go forward that she would bear. The research reveals time and time again that a woman who has a ring on her finger has influence and power in the relationship. Not manipulation, but influence. Godly influence in the relationship because there's a ring on it. And I've seen this when you know, if you, how many married men in the room raise your hand? Married? Okay. So somebody like, I don't know. You know, will I suffer for this if I raise my hand? I, I, hey, hey. But married men, you know when you go out with your friends, your guy friends, some of them married, some of them not married. You go out with your single friends. So, so we go out and, and we're going to go golf or we're going to go play pool or we're going we're gonna to just, you know, we're going to go to a movie, whatever. There comes a certain time. The married men, not the, not the living together men, the married men get to the certain place where they're like, oh my gosh, it's getting late. I better... I better get home, you know? And we're thinking, because we're in a committed relationship, we're thinking, you know, I, I better, I'm married, you know, I gotta get home, because, you know, if I'm a good boy, maybe I'll get a treat. <laughs> you know, it's true. You know, it's true. We're all dogs, but if you treat us like them, we'll be good boys. <laughs> you know what I mean? I get a treat, I get a treat, I'm a good boy, I'm a good boy, I'm a good boy. I'm a good boy. <laughs> But all, the, but, but all the guys who are living together, they're like, I don't care. I'll go home when I want to. I'll go home. I'll, when I'm good and ready, I'll go home. Because, because the committed relationship, the marriage relationship, there's a ring. And that ring has influence. Ladies, you, you, you get that on your finger, you have influence. You give it up. And when I say give it up, I mean in every sense of the word. Then you lose that power. And the point I just made, it, 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 the, the example I just made proves my point. Now, just pull out sex for a second. Just pull that out of the equation. Most husbands actually statistically enjoy going home to their spouses. I actually, when I'm away from my wife for any significant period of time, even sometimes a day, especially when I've been together for a long time and then we're not together for a little while, I'll call her up and miss you. What's going on? You know, how you doing? Checking in, those kind of things. That actually statistically is very common. But most guys are not seeing that in a living together, cohabitating relationship. Now, I've seen some people go about this a countercultural way, but yet a biblical way. I don't know how to describe the difference to you in words. It's something you kind of have to see. But I can, there's several couples that are in this church that I have the privilege of performing their marriage where they decided to go against the trend, not live together, actually uh, just kind of follow God's pattern. In fact, um, abstain from, from, from sex in their relationship all the way to the wedding day. I've married several couples that didn't kiss until their wedding day, and as crazy and countercultural as that was, they even suffered some ridicule, maybe even some judgment from their friends. But I'll tell you what, on that day, in that ceremony, in that moment, it was like the most spectacular kickoff to relationship I've ever seen. Something was so special. Their union was so strong. Their relationship was so strong because the foundation of it was commitment. It wasn't biological or emotional. It was Christ-centered and focused. It was different. And they took, yes, amen. And they took the wisdom of scripture and they learned from the trends of social science and, they, and it may have been painful and it may have been difficult. I heard this said one time that, that wisdom is knowledge plus scars. Wisdom is knowledge plus scars. But see, you can be wiser from your own or you can be wise and learn from the mistakes of others and some of the things that we're seeing today. In cohabitating relationships, listen to this. In cohabitating relationships, the guy is four times more likely to be unfaithful to his partner. But before you judge women, before you judge, in cohabitating relationships, the woman is eight times more likely to be unfaithful. 
The reason for that is, the reason for that is, women aren't interested in sex, they're interested in intimacy. But when there's no commitment, there's no intimacy or closeness. Just isn't. There's no trust, there's no intimacy. So you don't see emotional bonding, you don't see non sexual touch. The female heart yearns to be cared for and cherished. And I've had to learn this after. And it's harder, but it can be done. And when it's done, it's a game changer in relationship. In the last service, I just talked to somebody who renewed their vows years later when they became Christ followers. And they went through the process again in order to put God first in their relationship and build the foundation again from the start. In fact, my dad did the wedding. They were married, uh, they told me, 58 years at the door. Just when they were going out today. In fact, I read about them in the book of Genesis. (laughs) That's a long time. But what happens is living together undermines fidelity. Living together undermines fidelity. Even more, living together uh, exacerbates conflict. It, it makes it even worse. Listen to this scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 28. This, uh, this is, it says, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. You're like, praise the Lord. Is this what you're going to end on? See, you don't see this particular scripture on a, a magnet on your, on, your, on your mirror. You don't see this in a Hallmark card, all right? But Paul was trying to prepare people for the difficulties of marriage, and there will be difficulties. And, and I used to use this text on many of the marriage cards that I sent out to people. You know, you know congratulations, 1 Corinthians 7. They never look it up. You know what I mean? They never look it up. <laughs> It's just funny, but anyway, it's funny. But good luck, you know, that's what I'm thinking in my head. Blessings to you, it's going to be tough. Um, but they have no idea. But all the data concludes, all the data concludes that couples who live together actually have more conflict than married couples do. In fact, it's, it's by percentage almost double. So the conflict that married couples face that Paul talked about is even more. So not only is fidelity undermined, but conflict is increased. And one of the reasons for that is, is the differences in the dynamic of the relationship. So in a committed relationship where the guy is married and she's got a ring on it, you have a birthday party, we're going to have a bunch of kids over, honey, and I got the Barney suit, and you're going to have to wear it. If the guy doesn't want to do it, but because he's in a committed relationship and she's got a ring on her finger, he goes, give me the dinosaur head, go ahead. But the guy in the relationship where they're living together and they have a child together or they're having a party for somebody and he's got to wear the Barney suit, he's like, no way, Jose, I'm not going to wear a Barney suit. Forget about it. You're on your own. So what she'll do to compensate for that is resort to manipulation. She'll resort to selfish tactics. She'll do a tit for tat. She'll kind of basically, you know, bargain. And it gets really ugly. And that's why the conflict goes up in a relationship where they're living together that doesn't have commitment at the foundation of it. And so what happens is, in living together relationships, my freedom trumps my faithfulness instead of my faithfulness in a committed relationship trumping my freedoms. Does that make sense? It's key. And so if you live together, you're going to see ugly things happen. Social science proves what sacred scripture preaches, that you have to put a ring on it to first to see it work. So if you've been married 10 years or more, would you just raise your hand? I just want to see how many. 10 years or more. Awesome. Keep them up. 20 years or more. Awesome. 30 years or more. 40 years or more. Whoa. 50 years or more. Dad, you're not there yet. Put your hand down, buddy. (laughs) He's like, I want a prize. (laughs) I want to say thank you for your commitment. Come on. Can we thank those people for that? It's awesome. (laughs) 
My dad's in the back. Ooh, 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 pick me. This is what I want to say to you, and I, I didn't really run this by my staff. We'll figure it out later and whatever. It's just I'm the boss, so this is going to roll. But I was thinking about there may be some of you, because you're in the marriage or you're thinking about going in at some point, uh, and you're learning something from this, there's that group. But there's some of you that are in marriage, and there might be an undercurrent, a dynamic that is affecting the success or health of your relationship. You might need to go back, as it were, to go forward. Galatians 2.20 says... Um, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What that means is when you come down to the altar, you come down to say I do, not to get mine. You come down to say I do to give all that I am for somebody else. That surrender and that commitment sets you up for success in your relationship. And so if you're here and you would like to renew your vows at some point, I'm going to ask you uh, to fill out a connection card. Just let us know you're interested. I'm actually thinking about planning a special service where all the people come together. We have a special wedding ceremony where people renew their vows. Would that be exciting? to anybody out there? Wouldn't that be cool? Just kind of do it right and renew it. The couple that was 58 years married had been married many, many years, but they suffered and they struggled. And when they renewed their vows, they said, and they committed their life to Christ, they said something happened in their marriage where it was never the same after that. And now, now if you've you're living together and you would like to be married, but there's practical reasons why you can't. Would you let us know that in a connection card so we can help walk you through that process? Maybe it's some resourcing, maybe it's finances, whatever it is. We want to help you uh, get your relationship in a healthy place so you can move forward the way God intended. Amen? Is that exciting? So listen, ladies, dust off the dress, dust off the dress. Find maybe that old wedding dress, you know. Some of you are like, no way, you know, 10 pounds, 10 years, whatever it is. I know how it goes. I know how it goes. Listen, I heard a recent study that determined and found that wives who carry an extra, a little extra weight live longer than guys who mention it. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Okay, stand up. Let me pray for you. Woo. Just be very still. Would you just close your eyes for a minute? I want to pray. The prayer team's going to come and be available for those of you who need prayer after service today. We want anyone, wouldn't want anyone, even all the levity and fun and life, to go home that doesn't feel like that God cares about what's going on in your life in particular. And so we want to pray for you. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask a question just between you and God. What, what, what might be the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Maybe you're in a relationship, but whether you be husband or wife, where God has not been... He's been your savior, but he's not been the Lord of the ring. He's not, you haven't committed fully to him and to your spouse. Maybe you just got refreshed today by, and you, and you want to you go to another level in your relationship where you, maybe it, it follows up later in, in renewal of your vows. But today, in your heart, you want to see your relationship go to another level of commitment to God and to your spouse. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Come on, all over the room. Don't be shy. Don't, I want more of that myself as the pastor. We all could use a refresher in that. God bless you all over the room, I pray. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. Maybe you're here today, and in order to have a successful relationship, you got to get in relationship first with the only one that can help you walk it out. Because I can promise you knowledge and discipline, it's not enough. You're going to need somebody to come alongside you. You're going to need a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus. Jesus and his relationship to the church is the, is the, is the reflection of what God wants to see in marriage and in relationship here on earth for us. 
And so he modeled that for us, and he, and he ministered that to us, and he messaged that to us. But he wants to come right alongside us, but more than that, he wants to come inside of us. He wants to come into a relationship with us. And so maybe you haven't done that today, and you want to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's you, and you know he's talking to you, and even early on in the service, you could just feel the knock on the door of your heart, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out of your seat or say come down front or do anything like that but right there where you are between me and God just by raising your hand would you acknowledge and just say I want to make sure that Jesus Christ is not only my savior but he's my Lord today would you do that by raising your hand God, God bless you God bless you God bless you thank you thank you thank you so much thank you all the way back that's awesome that's awesome I see your hand over there that's so great so great. And all of you that might be listening online, you respond to this as well. Right there where you're sitting, right there where you're watching. Don't miss an opportunity. Church, would you say this prayer, for me, prayer with me? Just say, Jesus, I want to make you today not only my Savior, the one who paid for my sins by your grace, but I want to make you my Lord. I choose this day of my own free will to submit my life to you and submit my life in such a way that is reflected in my relationship with other people. Show me, guide me, encourage me in how to do it the right way in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap. Yeah, God bless you all. God bless you.